Hi, it's Anthony Bivolo here, the Research Director of the Lowy Institute, and I'm here with Roger Shanahan, non-resident fellow in the West Asia Program, and James Brown, uh, the Institute's military fellow. And we're here to talk about what's happening in Iraq and what might be done about it. Um, obviously, it'd be good to start with uh, where things are at the moment and really how serious a problem are we facing uh, with ISIS capture of Mosul last week. So maybe to you to first, Roger. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. I think um, this, this is... Uh, very serious situation on several levels. Uh, firstly, at the practical level, uh, ISIS has gained some of its fighters that it's released from the prisons. It's, gased, it's gained a great deal of money uh, that it's taken from the banks uh, in the locations that it's um, liberated. It's also gained lots of weaponry and ammunition. Um, it's also gained a great reputation because it's taken the second largest city in Iraq. So as far as ISIS is concerned, um, it's been a great success. They've also presented um, videos of them destroying uh, the berm that signifies the border between Iraq and Syria. So it's sending messaging out that it's able to control territory across borders and doing away with the old European boundaries. So um, as far as ISIS is concerned, they've expanded their reputation. As far as uh, Iraq is concerned, it's uh, really illustrated the hollowness of the Iraqi army. Uh, there were reports that the senior leadership were amongst the first uh, to leave when Mosul came under pressure. Uh, and I think this points to the fact that uh, un the government under uh, Maliki, like its predecessors, um, values loyalty over um, professionalism in its military. What that has meant is uh, that the military appears to have been hollowed out. Some of the units haven't been rotated out of operations uh, for several months. And once you add casualties, desertions, um, a misappropriation of funds and a lack of oversight because the senior leadership themselves are not professional, uh, it doesn't augur well for the formal parts of the Iraqi military uh, to go back on the offensive. And the implications here are not just for Iraq, obviously. I mean, not, you know, clearly there's a risk now that you'll see a re-emergence of the sectarian kind of conflict that we saw in the kind of mid-2000s, particularly with all the talk about Shiite militias now training up to go back to these areas and recapture territories. That, so that's a concern. Uh, there's a, a wider regional concern given uh, the way in which any re-emergence of sectarian conflict in, in Iraq feeds into very, very strong sectarian tensions elsewhere in the region, obviously in Syria, but even in, in parts of the Gulf. And, and there's that implication in terms of, you know, what this means globally with, with the kind of regeneration of jihadist threat. You've had lots of um, uh, foreign fighters already going to Syria. If ISIS is able to hold that territory and create, you know, some kind of mini statelet that straddles uh, the uh, Syrian-Iraqi borders, that obviously the, the opportunities for, for the training uh, of, of jihadist groups from around the world uh, um, is, is much greater. Listen, absolutely. There's a, at every level, as I said before, this is a problem. We're now at the stage where the two security guarantors for Iraq appear to be the United States and Iran. Uh, and somewhat puzzlingly, uh, the Saudis have been absolutely silent on what's going on in one of their near neighbours. Um, that's worrying in and of itself. But as you pointed out, um, it's got the ability to um, bring in uh, neighbouring actors in ways in which we couldn't have envisaged even a month ago. Um, Iran will understand that it needs to maintain its influence over Iraq, but not in too public a way. And I don't think you'll see great numbers of 
uh, Iranian military appearing to bolster up uh, Maliki's government. Certainly the religious leadership uh, have been very careful to call it a national duty uh, to support and defend Iraq, but that's only going to influence uh, the Shia population as we've seen. There are reports already today that the Syrians have been uh, increasing their attacks on Raqqa in Syria, uh, possibly to destroy some of the equipment that's been looted from um, Mosul. Um, so what's going to be very interesting over the next um, few weeks is to gain uh, the reaction particularly of the Gulf states, how they see Iraq playing out and really at some point while they're very happy for al-Maliki to be having a bloody nose it's not in their best interest for al-Maliki's government to collapse and I don't think that there is any sign of that occurring. Um, I think the best case for the Gulf states and for everybody concerned and there's certainly the United States has been pushing this and there are reports that Iran has been pushing this is that Maliki really needs to be much more inclusive of the Iraqi population and particularly the Sunni population. Um, James we talked about these kind of wider implications there are implications for Australia in the sense that uh, the US is clearly talking about taking some kind of action they're looking at the, a variety of options according to President Obama although probably not ground troops. Uh, um, Prime Minister Abbott was in uh, Washington last week. Uh, this was discussed at his joint press conference with Obama, and you know he he seemed to give some indication that Australia would look at what options it had. Um, what do you think realistically Australia's options are? Well, I think we know that the US won't send in ground troops now. They've been pretty categorical about that. I think Tony Abbott was a little bit unprepared for the question that he got at that press conference and sort of gave a generic holding response. Julie Bishop this morning has been a bit more detailed. Uh, she's talked about, um, first and foremost, the consular challenge that we face. Uh, there are still a number of Australians and Australian companies operating in Iraq. We've basically said that they're on their own, which is fine because most of them have private security. We're looking at um, bolstering the presence in the embassy and the security of the embassy by withdrawing some people there. That'll be the immediate challenge. And then what do we provide to this wider conflict? Um, there's a lot that we could provide. We could provide uh, surveillance flights, uh, we could provide targeting assistance, experts and imagery, we could uh, provide um, all sorts of military transport aircraft uh, for um, tasking towards any humanitarian relief operations. But I think we will be very cautious. I don't think we'll provide much at all. Uh, if it was up to me, I'd be providing imagery analysis support so that we can help the Iraqis determine who is an ISIS fighter and who is a civilian as they go to try and retake these towns. I think that's a small and cheap way that we could give a niche contribution. Uh, and the cheap factor is not uh, an unimportant one either. I mean, any sort of big military contribution back into Iraq would cost serious money for the Australian government who are trying to save money across all sorts of areas. Mm. I mean, Roger talked about the hollowness of the Iraqi army. Um, and obviously there's the, kind of the short-term fix of trying to kind of push ISIS back. But it does raise this whole question of the training of the Iraqi army, uh, security sector reform. The US still does some training in Iraq, but is this going to mean that uh, once this issue is dealt with, the US is going to have to get uh, back involved in, in training uh, in Iraq in security sector reform in a much more significant way? And is there a role there for Australia, do you think? That's a good question. I mean, this plays to the points that Obama was making in his West Point speech, the model of partnering, building up partners so that they're able to be responsible for their own security. The collapse, the rapid collapse of the Iraqi army in this case really challenges that model. 
a lot of that training is now being done by contractors as opposed to uniform staff. Australia could get back into the business of training the Iraqi army. We've done it before, but it's been quite a while since we pulled those trainers out over six years. I think we'd be very reluctant to put trainers back in because it means putting our military personnel in small bases scattered across the country, and that creates all sorts of force protection dilemmas for the Australian Defence Force. James and Roger, uh, there'll be lots to talk about over coming days and weeks, I would imagine, on this issue, but uh, thanks for having an initial chat this morning. Thanks, Anne.